But here's something I know, which I've been trying to help you see over the last couple weeks, but let me state it again, (laughs) that God has a plan for every life to help fulfill his mission. All right, he has a plan for every life. Now, I'm not sure what your reaction is to that statement, but I hope it would be one that is at least a little excited that you want to be a part of God's plan. Yes, there can be some nerves and questions, but there also should be some excitement because God wants to use you for his glory and he knows the very intimate details of your life. He knows how he created you, so he even knows how to use you. Think about this. The apostle Paul made this clear when speaking to the people of Athens, he said these words as recorded in Acts 17. And he, that being God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now, there's much I could say about those verses that Paul shared, but I want you to take notice of this. That even the nations have been determined their allotted period of time by God. In other words, when they would exist. It also says, and their boundaries, where they would exist. God's done that for the nations. And not only has he done that for the nations, hear this, he has done that for individual lives. Right? He's put you in a particular place and a particular time to be used for his glory. In fact, look at the last verse we shared last week in Nehemiah 1. It says, now I was cupbearer to the king. You see, here why that statement is so important. What we've seen so far is that, that, that in the book of Nehemiah is that in the nation of Israel, that they were seeking to rebuild after being sent into exile for their rebellion against God. God himself was the one working to rebuild his people as he'd moved in the heart of King Cyrus to let the Jewish remnant move back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. However, the city of Jerusalem and the city for almost hundreds of years still stood in shambles and the people were in turmoil. That The people still needed to be rebuilt. And so God places the burden on Nehemiah, uh, you know, that, 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 that when, he, when he hears that condition of Jerusalem, and, and, and as he gets that burden, and here's why he particularly got that burden, all right? Because God had put him in the right place to make a difference. He put him as the cupbearer to the king. You see, when I think about what Paul said in Acts 17 and consider what God is doing with Nehemiah, here's what it reminds us, that God has you in a place to be used in fulfilling his purposes, You see, I'm sure that some of you might doubt that. But if you will open your eyes, there are needs all around you that God has you in a unique position to meet. Maybe in your position at school, there are children who need special encouragement. God has you in their path to encourage them and possibly change their future. Maybe you are even a classmate of someone who is truly struggling. Maybe they are new to the area and struggling to make friends in school. Well, God has you right where you need to be to change their present and to change their future. At your job, you have a coworker or coworkers who don't know the Lord and are suffering brokenness in their life. God has you right where you need to be to speak into their lives hope and to point them to the God who loves them, who can heal their brokenness. Maybe God has put you in a place where you understand the needs of the homeless or the poor in our community. And God's giving you a vision of how you can help. God has you right where he wants you. Maybe you're in a homeschool group and he has in a position where there's a family that is struggling, all right? And it's not an accident that you're in their life. God has you there with a purpose. God has a vision for your life and he wants you to fulfill that vision. Now, here's what I want us to look at closer today, though. When you understand that that God has a vision for your life and how do you fulfill that vision? How, How do I go about that? Okay, God's given me some idea of what he wants me to do. Well, how do I go about carrying that out? Well, most specifically today, I want you to look at the faithfulness required to fulfill God's vision for your life. 
Let's pick up in verse one of chapter two. Remember, chapter one ends with a prayer by Nehemiah. And then we read this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. <coughs> now, if you were here last week, you, were, you might remember that I, I made a reference to this verse. I, I made a reference because it starts with the words in the month of Nisan. In fact, that fact alone tells us that, that, that Nisan, when you, you look back last week, that, that Nehemiah got word in the month of Chislev about what was happening, and now it's N Nisan, and this is what it tells us, that that four months' time had passed. And what that tells us, for four months, Nehemiah fasted and prayed about the condition of the people. In other words, Nehemiah shows us that if we're going to fulfill God's mission, that we need to be faithful in waiting. All right, let me ask you this. Any of you here good at waiting? <coughs> All right. And forgive me this morning, I might cough a little bit. I've been battling with my sinuses over the weekend, so I'm going to be all right, right? My wife has my bottle of water ready for me, right? But none of us are ready for, good at waiting, right? Uh, and I know we're not. See, we have this wonderful, even invention called a microwave. Anybody have one of those in your home? All right, it's a great invention. I, I remember as a kid, we didn't have one of those things, right? In the past, what we did, I mean, when I was a little kid, we didn't have a microwave. If we wanted to warm something up or cook something, it took a long time, right? You didn't even heat up anything. Well, but how many of though of you, even though now we have a microwave that'll cook or warm up things, sometimes in minutes or seconds, still get impatient with the microwave? Anybody here ever opened the microwave door before it was done because you couldn't wait for it to get finished? All right, guilty as charged right here, right? I mean, it's like, it's got, I'm not, I got, I'm in a hurry, all right? It don't matter how fast it was. You see, we're terrible at waiting, all right? We're terrible at waiting, especially when something is dear to our hearts. Think about what Nehemiah was experiencing at this time. It's hard to become broken over the condition of the people. He knew that he should act to help the situation. So what did he do? <clears throat> he waited. And I'm not saying that he wanted to wait, but waiting was something that was necessary. Think about when you move too quickly on something. Who are you trusting to get things done when you move too quickly? Yourselves, that's right. You're acting, thinking, I can handle the situation. And even if you don't know exactly what you're gonna do, you think, well, I'll figure it out along the way. I mean, no one has ever gotten in trouble doing that, have they? I didn't think so, all right? No, many have gotten in trouble with that attitude. The psalmist wrote some very important words for us when we read in Psalm 40, these words. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the Mari bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thought towards us. None can compare to you. You see, the psalmist recognized that it's good to wait on God rather than turning to other things to deliver us. Sometimes, as the psalmist declared, people trust in the proud rather than God. They put their trust in those who are pursuing after the wrong things because it's inconvenient and they're in a hurry. And I have no doubt that God wants to use each of us for something great, but he doesn't want us moving forward in our own strength or in the strength of others. Ultimately, God wants us moving forward with his strength. In reality, if we move forward with our own strength, we are limited in what we can do. But when we wait on the Lord, we can do greater things or rather he can do greater things through us. You hear me? There are many things that waiting can do, but one thing I know that waiting can do is help to clarify the vision that God has for your life. Many times I've seen people start things and never finish them because the reality was it really wasn't God's vision for them. 
They saw something that moved them, and so they moved quickly responding, but because it wasn't God's vision for them, it didn't take long for them to get burned out or to give up. It's probably why so many people, I mean, start ministry, but they never finish ministry. All right, I don't know, I've shared this in the past, I don't know if you know that, but of every, every 10 per, per people that enter into ministry, only one stay in ministry. All right, because sometimes we t- attempt things and it wasn't really God's vision for our, our life. All right, it, it, it didn't, it, it, it's, it's not. And so we can start that without God and we'll end up failing. Again, it's because, again, they didn't take time to wait on God and make sure the vision was God's. Nehemiah had a burden to help the people, but he sought God in prayer and he waited for God to confirm the vision. Also want to quickly note that as Nehemiah waited, he didn't wait by pouting. Did you notice the last words of verse one? It said this, now I had not been sad in his presence. Even though Nehemiah was burdened for the people and was moved to help, he didn't let the fact that he could not act right away make him walk around with a sad old pouty face. That's not how it was for him. In fact, he showed us another aspect of the faithfulness we need that is faithful in daily serving. You know, if God had given Nehemiah the vision of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and helping to restore the people, how do you think he thought about that compared to being the cupbearer for the king? Think about it. On one hand, Nehemiah tastes the wine and the food for the king, but on the other hand is the prospect of leading and rebuilding a city and people. Which one of those seems more compelling to you? Now, unfortunately, I know in our day and time, there's going to be a lot of people who say, well, it doesn't sound like too bad a gig if I'm just tasting the king's food and wine and I'm just hanging around a castle, right? That kind of seems like a pretty good gig. That's how it is in our day and time, right? Let's do things as easy as we can, all right? But, but I hope that's not what we want to be, all right? But, but I would hope those gathered here t- today w- would much rather do something great that God has laid up on your heart. If he'd given you a vision for rebuilding something for him, that that would be more compelling than anything that you are currently doing, especially if all you were doing was just tasting food. You see, for Nehemiah, I believe as, as we will move on, we will clearly see that he wanted to help his people. His mourning and praying over the situation had already indicated his heart's desire to go and to rebuild. With that being the case, it would be easy for Nehemiah to now dread what he was doing for the king and to become sloppy at his work for the king. However, according to those words at the end of verse one, he wasn't even sad in the presence of the king for these four months. In fact, he had been so faithful in his service that there was one day when Nehemiah was so heavily burdened by the needs of Jerusalem, the people, that the king took notice. Look how verse two starts. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. You see, this might seem subtle to you, but Nehemiah had been such a consistent and faithful servant to the king that on this particular day, four months later, in the month of Nisan, that the king noticed that something was different about Nehemiah. He was able to recognize that Nehemiah was not sick, but that something was going on that made him sadness of heart. Again, we might look at this as nothing, but think about the importance of Nehemiah's faithful service to this point. Nehemiah faithfully serving the king daily actually put him in a place where God could use him to do greater things. In fact, we will see here in a moment that the king is going to ask what Nehemiah wants from him. And look at how Nehemiah responds in verse five. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now, here is Nehemiah making his request of the king to go and rebuild the city. And look at what he bases this request upon. Look at verse five. I have it underlined on the screen for you, all right? If your servant, all right, has found favor in your sight... You see, the request that Nehemiah is going to make, 
hinges upon whether he has been found faithful in serving the king, being he found favor in the sight of the king. Now again, how did Nehemiah gain that favor of the king? By faithfully serving the king daily. Here's something that sometimes we forget, that we being faithful and doing our best wherever we are in whatever you're doing, all right, we should do that every day. You are to be faithful in serving daily, and by doing so, you place yourself in a position for God to use you in other and sometimes bigger ways. In fact, consider these scripture. Ephesians 6 says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ." Not by the way of eye service or, or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or whether he is free. Now, I hope it is clear what is being said there. But if not, what Paul is saying is that let your service, no matter what it is and no matter for who it is, be done as if you were doing it to the Lord. In Nehemiah's case, even though he was serving a pagan king, God's desire for Nehemiah was that he would serve in a way from the heart as if he were serving God himself. And think about how that applies to you because it doesn't matter if you have a good boss or a bad boss, you should consider your work as work for the Lord. So work in a way that pleases God. For students, let me remind you that schoolwork to this point is your work, right? Parents can say amen to that, right? So what you do with your schoolwork is you work as if you're serving the Lord. Now, if you're wondering why these, this matters, let me give you a good reason to do this. Because we're told this in Luke 16 by Jesus himself. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Now, again, without going too deep here, what Jesus makes clear is if you cannot be trusted in the little things, how can you be trusted with big things? And when it comes to God, how can he trust you with the true riches of his kingdom if you cannot prove yourself faithful in the little things that have been entrusted to you? You see, God knew that he could use Nehemiah with a big task of rebuilding the wall and the people of Jerusalem because Nehemiah had proven himself in the little task of serving as the king's cupbearer. Maybe Nehemiah felt discouraged being a cupbearer. Maybe Nehemiah looked and asked, what real difference am I making in the world? As a Jew who obviously loved God, as evidenced by his prayer last week, maybe he thought to himself, how am I making a difference for God by serving the king? But God had him in a place where he needed to be. And Nehemiah was proving himself faithful for the next task by being faithful currently and serving daily the king in the little task. Do you see that? Let me say this to anyone hearing me today, that wants to make a difference for God and has days when you think that what you do doesn't really matter. Keep being faithful in what you are doing because you never know how God is using you now or what he might prepare you for in the future. All right. I was thinking as I was working on this message, how a couple of weeks ago, Kim and I were having a conversation with an individual, and th this was someone who... Uh, uh, had a daughter that Kim had the privilege of teaching some years ago. The man expressed his appreciation for Kim's investment in his daughter's life and the impact that she made. 
Now, this man's daughter right now is serving overseas as a missionary, impacting lives in a powerful way. I mean, she's worked with refugees, among other peoples. As I thought about this reality, I know that there have been others that have been impacted, who have impacted this young lady's life, but it struck me that as Kim was faithful in her task those years ago, she has, has had the opportunity to be a part of a ministry now that is reaching around the world. You see, sometimes we never know the impact we are having all right, on lives or the lives that we are influenced in a way that we may never know. But as we faithfully serve daily, God can use that service and then sometimes he calls us in the midst of that faithfulness to a different task. That is what he does with Nehemiah, which leads to another aspect of his faithfulness, which is this, faithful in speaking. All right, look, look, look back at verse two for a moment. Again, Nehemiah is faithfully serving the king all right, his heart had become burdened with the condition of Jerusalem and the people. And this happens in verse two. It says, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, I didn't focus on this a moment ago, but we need to take notice of the end of that verse where Nehemiah gives a commentary of how he was feeling when the king asked him why he was sad. Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. Now, we need to ask, why was Nehemiah afraid? Well, first, we need to know that coming into the king's presence as the cupbearer, looking sad, was frowned upon by the king. Okay? None of you caught that little pun this morning, did you? I wrote that in there. Nobody caught it, all right? Coming in sad, make the king's frown, right? Okay, anyway, we'll move on, all right? Coming into the king's presence sad could make the king suspicious of what's going on. I mean, is there an assassination attempt coming? Or it could have just been seen as spoiling the party. I mean, the, the king loved to have fun. He didn't want somebody sad in his presence because, man, he was all about the party, right? So don't come in here and spoil the mood, right? So that could have been bad. Or it could have just been seen as disrespectful. And in fact, some Persian art from that time period showed those who came in the king's presence as having their right hands over their mouth so that they would not defile the king with their breath. All right, that's how important it was uh, coming into the king's presence. It was serious business. And so to come into his presence looking sad was a no-no. And since the king noticed Nehemiah's sad condition, this could have been a, a tense moment. However, I want to propose this, that maybe the fear could have meant something else, that Nehemiah knew what was on his heart. He knew what he wanted to say before the king, and it was not going to be easy to speak. And so the thought of what he needed to do may have made him afraid. In fact, I bet some of you have had those moments, have you not? I bet there are spouses here this morning who needed to have a serious conversation with their spouse. And when it came to speaking what needed to be spoken, I bet there was fear. Don't raise your hands. All right. I also bet there are a few children who needed to have a serious conversation with a parent or parents who when, who, when it came right down to saying what they needed to say, there was a little bit of fear. Maybe something like, Dad, I don't want to play anymore. Or Mom, I've decided I'm, I'm not going to be a lawyer after all. There have probably been a few employees who needed to talk to their boss who honestly found themselves a little afraid to say what needed to be said. I wonder if there are any friends who ever needed to have a serious conversation with a friend who hesitated to speak out of fear. See, let's be honest that most of the time when there's this vision that we need to fulfill in our lives or when there's something that, that, that we know needs to be done and the Lord has made it clear that speaking is required to be faithful, that speaking can be hard. In fact, if you say this morning, some of you may say, well, Brother Scott, this, servant, this sermon is irrelevant to me because God has not given me a vision for my life. One vision I know today that God has for every believer is to share the truth of Jesus Christ, Amen. all right? 
I know that because the scripture really tells us that in various places. And in Romans 10, it says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Hear me, people cannot believe in Jesus unless they are told about Jesus, and it is every believer's responsibility to tell others about Jesus, but what happens to us? What happens to us? We get afraid to speak. Do we not? If you want to raise your hand there, you can. We'll see we're all in the same boat together, all right? That's what happens to us, right? We have this responsibility, but we're afraid to speak. We all need to be faithful in speaking, even when it is difficult. And Nehemiah demonstrates this as we continue reading when he says this, and I said to the king, that the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now, some may read these words and say, what's the big deal? Why is Nehemiah so nervous? Well, let's think about this. First, Nehemiah is asking the king permission to take a leave of absence from his position as cupbearer. The position that ensures the king is not poisoned a position that does require a large measure of trust from the king on that person, a position that you don't necessarily easily replace. He is saying, king, I want time away from my duties. Next, he's asking to rebuild a city that Artaxerxes, as I shared last week, had already made in order to stop rebuilding because it was seen as a threat to his kingdom. So put another way, Nehemiah is asking the king to change his mind. Nothing scary about those requests, right? Either request by itself would have been a big deal. And so together, what Nehemiah is asking is borderline crazy. But let me quickly point out how Nehemiah was able to faithfully speak. It goes back to what we said last week, but look at what we read in verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was able to speak by seeking strength from God in prayer. Now, know this. This isn't the four-month prayer we looked at last week. This is what some people call a staccato prayer, all right? What that means is one that's quickly, all right? In other words, here's why when Nehemiah prayed, do you think anything came out of his mouth at this point when he prayed? No. My guess is maybe even a matter of one second passed. But in that moment, here's here's how I I figure this prayer going between God and Nehemiah in this morning, uh, in this moment. Lord, give me the strength to say what I need to say. All right? That's probably about as long in his head. The king says, what do you need? And Nehemiah in that moment thinks to himself, God help me say what needs to be said, and then starts talking, all right? King didn't even know a prayer one. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Let me say, everybody, that should not be the sum of your prayer life. If all your prayer life is is staccato prayers, you got a lot to learn. But let me tell you this. These kind of prayers definitely need to be a part of your life. There's nothing wrong with sending up an instant quick prayer to God. In fact, it actually is helpful in keeping your focus on where it needs to be on God. These prayers are definitely helpful in helping you be faithful in speaking. Now, as we move on and look at what Nehemiah spoke, we will see something else that could be key to one fulfilling God's vision for your life, which is this, it's faithful in planning. You see, if we look back at last week where Nehemiah prayed for four months and look at this week where Nehemiah was continuing to be faithful as a cupbearer for the king, we might have this tendency then to think that Nehemiah was doing nothing. First, we've already noted that praying and serving are not nothing. They are something, are they not? 
Yes, they're very important things. But Nehemiah also was in the background, and guess what he was doing in the background when nobody else was looking? He was planning to fulfill the mission that God had for him. Let's look at the next few verses because after Nehemiah lets the king know in general what he wants to do, the king naturally has some questions. He says in verse 6, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd get him a time. It makes sense that the king would want to know what Nehemiah was specifically asking for, and it appears that Nehemiah was ready for an answer, and in response, the king said, yes. Now, it doesn't say what time Nehemiah asked to be gone. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. Nehemiah spent 12 years in Jerusalem. Long time, right? But what is clear is that he was ready with an answer to the king, and that's not all, because look at what Nehemiah goes on to say, and he said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be sent or given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy, all right? This clearly shows that Nehemiah has been planning while praying. He, he didn't just say, well, I need some time, but he's a king. I, I need some time away, but guess what? I also need letters. W- will you give me a letter to those in charge so that they'll know that I'm coming by your authority, that I'm coming by your permission, and so they don't destroy me or arrest me? And king, on top of that, hey, hey, you got a forest over there. I need some of that wood. Will you give me a, a letter to the person who's over your forest so I can get the timbers that I need in order to do the building that I need to do? You see, Nehemiah had a plan. And because of that planning, he knew what he needed and he was ready to act. And when he was asked, he was ready to speak. I will say this, ready? Any vision that God gives you, I would encourage you to do some planning before you act. Even if it takes months or years before you act. And I say that because following God's will for your life is not always easy. In fact, Jesus said this in Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Here's what Jesus was really saying. He's saying count the cost. Plan for what it will mean ultimately to follow me. Because planning can be very important for the success of any venture, even for God, because a plan looks at what is required, considers the obstacles, and makes sure that what is getting ready to be undertaken is a plan that God has given a vision for and that God is ready to provide for, because in the end, a vision from God will come to fruition so that you might do one more thing, that you might be faithful in praising. Look at the end of verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Don't overlook that last phrase because it's important that Nehemiah didn't say, the king granted me what I wanted because I waited for the perfect time to ask. Nehemiah didn't say, the king granted me what I wanted because I was the perfect servant. Nehemiah didn't say, the king granted me what I wanted because I spoke eloquently. Nehemiah didn't say the king granted my request because I laid out the perfect plan. Nehemiah said the king granted my request for the good hand of my God was upon me. In other words, Nehemiah wanted to make sure that God was receiving the praise for not only what was happening in the present, but also for what was going to happen in the days ahead. You see, that is important because we need to know this, that everything we do, ready, should be done for the glory of God, right? 
Many of you know these words from 1 Corinthians 10, 31, but let me share them with you again this morning. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, we need to grasp that truth because you wonder sometimes if you have a vision from God, all right? And if you say, how, how do I know this vision is from God? Well, if you're wondering, if you have this vision that you have is from God, ask yourself this question. In the end, will God be glorified? All right? And if you can say, in the end, God will be glorified in this, here's what I'm gonna say, go for it. Go for it. Because anything that ends in the glory of God is gonna be a great thing, amen? And maybe it's just that that's the thing that God has put on your heart. Now, as we think about this faithfulness that is needed for rebuilding, let's consider something, all right? When you look at Jesus Christ, all this faithfulness that I've mentioned this morning, it was present. When you look at the book of Malachi, if you, you take your Bible and if you turn to the last book of the Old Testament, that's Malachi, and, and when you get to the first book of the New Testament in Matthew, do you understand? Many of you know this, right? It's a span of 400 years, right? What was happening? I mean, God was endure, God's people were enduring 400 years of wondering what God was doing, all right? Maybe even does God even care anymore? However, what they were really doing is just simply waiting for God's timing. And people who were, were faithfully serving God in that time period, there were many over 400 years who were still waiting patiently. They've been serving God faithfully, waiting because they knew something. They knew God had promised a savior. They knew God had promised a Messiah. And so they were faithfully waiting for God to execute his promise. One of those people was a young virgin named Mary to whom an angel appears. And when the angel tells her she will be with child from the Holy Spirit and he will be the son of God, her response is ultimately this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, God used somebody, all right, who was simply being a faithful servant daily to accomplish his great vision. Th then what did God do next? God faithfully spoke. Are, are you aware of that? Hebrews tells us this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see, God made it clear that Jesus was his word to us and his word spoken to us says, I love you. And there's a way to be forgiven of sin and given eternal life. There's a way to be rebuilt. And that way is through the son, Jesus Christ. In case you think that that story of Jesus is strange and that it's a weird way for God to work, if you're tempted to say that God must have gotten desperate to save people to come up with this idea, you need to know that that was God's plan from the beginning. First Peter tells us this, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Look at this, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, folks, listen, Jesus wasn't just an afterthought of God. Jesus was a well laid out plan. God, who is faithful, made a plan long ago that offered salvation to his people. And what should this end in? Faithful praise of God. You see, even years before Jesus came, Isaiah the prophet was given a glimpse by God of what was to come. And he proclaimed in Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. 
And in case you want to look at those words of Isaiah and say, well, that doesn't really apply to Jesus, you know, just consider what Isaiah said a few verses later in verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. You see, folks, death was swallowed up by what Jesus did. And for that, God is to forever be praised. Amen? You see, and here's God's vision is that all would be saved, that all would trust in Jesus. And God's ultimate vision for our lives is that we would help others come to know him and find their lives rebuilt. God truly wants us helping to rebuild lives that have been broken as God has done, been faithful in his part. He desires a people who will be faithful and fulfilling his vision for their lives. And so here's the question I have for you to Will you be faithful in rebuilding lives today? Will you be faithful? Maybe you feel that God has given you a vision to rebuild lives, but nothing has happened. Let me encourage you, be faithful in waiting. Be faithful in waiting. God has his timing. As you faithful wait, be faithful in serving, because if you're faithful, you'll find that God can open doors. All right? Be faithful in what you're doing right now. When the time comes to be faithful in speaking, be ready to share a word of hope or even share the gospel of Jesus. Be ready. And also be planning on how you might fulfill God's vision for your life because a true vision of God will have a plan. And when God sees that plan through, be sure to give him praise. Tell one today, are you ready to rebuild lives? Maybe you've become discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Seek God, wait, be faithful. All these things. Because I believe this, if you'll be faithful to God today, he will use you to fulfill his vision in this world. Amen? Are you ready to join him? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you this morning, God, as we look at this message, I'm thankful again for Nehemiah's life and the example that he lays before us about being faithful to you and faithful to your call, faithful to your vision. And God, I know today that you have a plan for every life here this morning and you have a desire for every person to serve you, ultimately to help reach this world for your glory. And so my father today for all those who gathered here is that they would be faithful. And God, we recognize it's, it's hard at times, God. It's, it's hard at times to wait. Father, it's also hard at times to, to serve faithfully when sometimes we don't know if we're making a difference. Father, there's times we've found it's hard to speak in those moments that you provide. And Father, we know sometimes even our plans, it seems so hard to get them on paper and even to give you glory in a day when we feel discouraged. But Father, I know that you're calling us to be faithful in all these ways, again, Lord, so ultimately you might use us for your glory. And so God, I pray this morning for this people, as those who've heard my voice, Lord, my prayer would be that they would be committed to faithfulness today, whatever it means for them. And Father, today, as they're faithful, my prayer would be that you would use them all for your glory. God, I wanna be faithful. I wanna be found faithful in your sight, God. And no matter what anybody would say about me, that they could look and you would know, God, that I'm faithful to you. And so, Father, I pray that for each here this morning. Help us to be faithful. We love you, God, and I'm thankful for the plan that you had through Jesus Christ, that we might be saved, that our lives might be restored, that we might be rebuilt. And, Father, even as we heard a couple of times this morning, we have a community that's so desperate in need of you. To think that right now there's maybe 90,000 people who, in our community who, who are not connected with you, at least not connected to a church where they can worship you. That, Father, that tells us there's a lot of work for us to do. So I'm thankful for those gathered here today. Now I pray, Father, that you'll continue to burden us. 
and help us to be faithful about spreading your, your word, your vision in this world that lives may be rebuilt. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.